Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be covering the case of Mia Marcano in Orlando, Florida. Let's get right to it. Mia Marcano was born on April 26, 2002 in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Just for reference, Pembroke Pines is located about 20 or so miles north of Miami. Mia had an exciting and interesting childhood growing up in both South Florida and the British Virgin Islands with her father Marlon Marcano being a professional DJ and her mom Ema Scarbrio. At some point, Mia's parents went their separate ways but they both remained devoted to their daughter and her younger brother, Marlon Jr. The family was close-knit with many extended family members, and they were fun. The family was very involved in the traditions of the Caribbean, taking part in Carnival, which is a celebration that commemorates freedom and the abolition of slavery on the British Virgin Islands. It's the biggest party of the year, and a celebration of life and freedom. There are costumes and dancing, parades, parties, and plenty of music and food. It looks like an amazing time, and it's something that Mia loved taking part in. There are plenty of photos of Mia all dressed up in elaborate costumes. It's clear just from the pictures alone that Mia had this incredible zest for life and wanted to soak up every moment. And so she did. Her cousin would recall to the Miami Herald that Mia loved modeling, pageants, cheerleading, dancing, horseback riding, and everything in between. She was driven, too, and excelled in whatever she made up her mind to do. That, of course, wasn't just in modeling pageants and the extracurriculars, but also in school. By 2020, Mia entered her senior year of high school at Flanagan Senior High. She was looking forward to getting out there in the world and all the things that come with that final year of high school. But it was 2020. I'm sure I don't have to remind you of the shit show that ensued. There would be no prom or big graduation event, and instead, everyone went home and everything went virtual. Nonetheless, several months after the lockdowns began, Mia and the class of 2020 graduated. Mia wasted no time moving on to the next chapter of her life and headed to the University of Central Florida in Orlando. After a few semesters, she transferred to Valencia College, where she was studying sports medicine. The two schools are right there together in Orlando and actually in a partnership, so while Mia transferred, she wouldn't have had to move or anything like that. Mia was both living and working in the Arden Villas apartment complex just outside the UCF campus. In fact, Arden Villas advertises itself as the ultimate off-campus living. It's a nice upscale apartment complex with a pool, cabanas, a clubhouse, a study lounge, and all kinds of other amenities. There's also a shuttle to and from the campus, so it comes as no surprise that plenty of students call Arden Villas home. And as I said, Mia Marcano had an apartment there and was working in the leasing office. 
Though she was living in Orlando, Mia did frequently travel to South Florida to visit her family or vice versa. According to police records, on September 24, 2021, Mia had plans to travel to Fort Lauderdale to see her dad. The plans were kind of last minute. As it turned out, Mia had what she described in text messages to friends as a long week. We don't know exactly what she meant by that, but Mia was a brand new college student, held down a job at the apartment, and had always been close with her family. Maybe she just needed a break and some time to recharge. So her dad purchased a plane ticket from Orlando to Fort Lauderdale. The plan was for Mia to finish her shift at the complex, which was scheduled to end at 5 p.m. She'd go by the apartment, pack a few things, and then head out to catch her flight that evening at around 8. Mia did finish her shift, canceled her dinner plans with friends, texting them at 5.05 p.m. to tell them that her dad had gotten her that last-minute flight. She seemingly made it back to her apartment and then just a few moments later texted a family member, telling them she was waiting on an Uber to pick her up to head to the airport. And that was the last time anyone heard from her. It was a little alarming because Mia stayed in constant contact with her family and friends. But at first, everyone kind of tried to brush it off. I mean, she had texted saying she was basically on her way to the airport. Perhaps she got busy going through the motions of traveling, especially post-COVID, and simply just didn't have time to text or make a call saying she'd arrived at the airport or was boarding her plane. But the hours ticked on and no one heard from Mia. She never checked into her flight and now her phone was either off or dead. This was completely unlike her. Her family knew at this point that something was very wrong. Her mom, Ima, was in the Virgin Islands at the time, but at 9.23 p.m., she placed a call to the Orange County Sheriff's Office requesting a welfare check on her daughter. She gave the dispatcher the rundown of the events of that night along with all of Mia's information. The family had already sent a friend over to the apartment. The friend had knocked on the door, but no one had answered. A deputy was sent out and arrived at 10.07 p.m. He knocked on the door, but again, there was no answer. He called Ima to tell her that he was there, but no one was answering the door. That's when Ima told him that Mia had a roommate. The roommate had been at work, but was now on her way home and she had a key. Moments later, Mia's roommate arrived and let the deputy inside the apartment. She told him that over the past few days, nothing seemed out of the ordinary with Mia. She had spoken with her over the phone earlier in the day and knew about her trip to Fort Lauderdale. Initially, nothing seemed amiss in the apartment. The pair made their way to Mia's bedroom door, but it was locked, which wasn't unusual. Mia had a habit of locking her door when she was away. Of course, they called out to Mia, but there was no response. The deputy then went outside to the back of the building and Mia's bedroom window. The window was closed but unlocked, so he pushed open the window and peered inside the room. He shined his flashlight inside and didn't immediately notice anything out of the ordinary. He went back to talk to the roommate, and when he did, she asked him if he saw a teddy bear on the bed. She explained that the teddy bear was something that Mia cherished and she would have never left town without it. The deputy couldn't recall if he had seen it or not. And by this time, Mia's roommate was on the phone with one of Mia's family members. The deputy and the roommate walked to the bedroom window together to see if Mia's teddy bear was there or not. From the outside looking in, they couldn't see the bear. And at this point, they also noticed that Mia's bed wasn't made 
and the window could be fully opened. You see, when Mia had moved into the apartment, her father had installed safety locks onto her windows that would only allow the windows to be opened about four to six inches. Of course, this was all in an effort to keep her safe. Those window locks were screwed in from the inside and would have had to have been removed from inside the apartment. The safety locks on Mia's bedroom window were gone. The family member on the phone asked if the roommate could enter Mia's room to take a better look around. You'll notice right from the jump that Mia's family took an incredible role in the search. Anyhow, the deputy allowed the roommate to enter the room. At this point, he didn't feel as if he himself had any reason to enter Mia's room. Remember, an officer doesn't have the right to just enter without a solid reason, but a roommate is a different story. So the deputy assisted the roommate in through the window. Once the roommate was in, it was clear that something had happened inside that room. For starters, a small bookshelf had been moved and propped against the doorknob to prevent anyone from entering through the bedroom door. There were three pieces of Mia's jewelry lying on the floor, and her luggage and a backpack she was planning on taking to Fort Lauderdale was still there in the room, and the teddy bear was on the closet floor. Mia's bed was unmade, and there was a pillow with a small patch of what appeared to be old blood. The family member on the phone asked the roommate to take photos of the room, and so she did. With a disturbance in the room, the deputy now had cause to make entry into the bedroom. So after the photos had been taken, he walked around to the front of the apartment and made entry. He noted everything and called Ema back in the Virgin Islands to let her know what had been found. By this time, Ema was able to confirm for certain that Mia had never boarded her flight in Orlando. The flight had since arrived in Fort Lauderdale and Mia wasn't on it. The deputy began asking if there was anyone else Mia would have been with like, say, a boyfriend, or something like that. He was informed that Mia had told a friend that there was a maintenance man that worked in the apartment complex that was interested in Mia, but Mia definitely wasn't interested in him. All the friend knew at the time was that he was one of the maintenance men at the apartment, and his name was Armando. The deputy entered Mia into the system as a missing person. She was described as a light-skinned female with curly brown hair and green eyes. 19 years old and approximately 4'11 and 120 pounds. He advised the family to call back with any additional information and left the apartment. Mia's family got to work immediately. They had already been calling Mia's friends and word that Mia was missing made its way to social media. Her father hopped in the car and began driving to Orlando from Fort Lauderdale. A few minutes after the responding deputy left the scene, Mia's roommate found one of the security guards who worked at the Arden Villas apartments. She told him that Mia was missing, and he went to look outside of the apartment for clues. The security guard noticed a print on the windowsill of Mia's bedroom window and was able to pull the print with duct tape. He called the Orange County Sheriff's Office at approximately 12.30 a.m., and the responding officer came back to the scene to get the print. In the wee hours of the morning, Mia's father, Marlon, arrived at the apartment with several other family members. At that point, Marlon got gloves from the security guard and went in to search the apartment himself. Once inside, he saw several things that concerned him, so he called the deputy back out to the scene. At 4.54 a.m., the deputy was back out at the apartments. 
Marlon and the other family members pointed out a box cutter they had found under a rug next to the bed. They had also located two older iPhones, a tablet, Apple Watch, and a laptop. These items were seized and taken into evidence. The family also pointed out that in Mia's bedroom, it appeared as if the bed had been moved slightly. They could see the old indentation from the bedposts in the carpet, and it was clear that the bed had been moved pretty recently. While the family and the deputy were on scene, someone else showed up in a silver Ford Fusion. As the officer was inside the apartment, Mia's family members confronted the man in the silver car. It was the maintenance man, 27-year-old Armando Caballero. Caballero was on the phone with Mia's friend and co-worker Tati. The officer asked if he knew what was going on and he told them that he did, that Tati had told him and that's why he had come back up to the apartment. He went on to explain that he and Mia were just friends and that he had last seen her earlier that day while working in the clubhouse around 3 o'clock that afternoon. As Armando was speaking with the deputy, the security guard got the officer's attention and told him that Mia's family had looked inside the car and observed a screwdriver in a bag, a cell phone case on the floor, and a blanket in the back seat. The deputy took note of this but carried on his conversation with Armando. At one point during the conversation, Mia's aunt interjected and confronted Armando about sending obsessive texts to Mia, declaring his feelings for her, trying to send her his life savings and money through Cash App. She stated that the family was well aware of the messages because they had actually seen them themselves, after some of Mia's friends had shown them. Mia's family captured the exchange on video and later released it to the public. Tati is, and Tati's on the phone. She shouldn't even be on the phone right now. As of right now, you have you sent tomorrow, obsessive texts to Mia. We have all seen the texts. You talked about giving her your life savings. You cash out her money and you claim that you weren't in touch. It's on text. As a matter of fact, we're going to get a police report to pull your phone records if that's the case. Um, There's evidence of of obsession. You're fascinated with me. It's not only from my side, so... Don't try to make this no one, no one saying that. It takes She's so, not here to defend herself right now. Obviously, so she's missing. So we're talking to you who've been going back and forth on text. Oh, that is your family. Right. But until we figure out what's going on, just don't beat me up. Nobody's beating you up. Nobody's beating you up. You put yourself in the middle right here. You bought yourself over here. Because we're concerned. You're concerned. Why weren't you concerned hours ago? I just found out. All right, cool. No problem. So how did Tati Someone maybe they're hanging out. Uh, they got this place right here. They go downtown. I don't know. Maybe her phone's off. I don't know where she. She would use somebody's phone and call her dad. I could owe her grandmother somebody. She, she was supposed to show up for a flight and okay. didn't show up. Don't beat me up. If I'm guilty, why would I come here? There are times when I wish this podcast had video capability, and this is one of those times. The expression on Armando's face as he was confronted was very telling. It's like when a kid is caught red-handed stealing a cookie straight from the jar and tries so hard to act surprised that they end up looking confused and a little constipated, 
What, me? Obsessed with Mia? No, I'm, I'm just concerned. The family could sense the bullshit, too, and things began to get heated, and the deputy had to separate Armando and the family. The officer shifted his attention to a door leading to the maintenance office that the security guard had checked earlier after there were reports that a noise was heard inside. Armando had keys to access the building, of course, so he was escorted over with multiple officers and the scene was cleared. Nothing was found, so again, the officers left. But Mia's family wasn't done just yet. They suspected that Armando Caballero was involved in her disappearance, and they weren't going to stop until they had answers. So they decided to conduct a little surveillance operation of their own. They followed Armando back to his apartment, which was in nearby Castleberry. And they waited. And then at approximately 8.40 in the morning, they saw Armando removing items from his car. The items? A dark-colored book bag and a blanket they believed was Mia's that had been given to her by another family member. And while he was removing these items, he was carrying a blue pair of rubber gloves. They were recording it as it all went down. You could hear the fear in their voices as they realized the blanket he was carrying was Mia's. They called 911, and since they were in Castleberry, which is about a 20-minute drive from Mia's apartment, Castleberry police responded. They explained the situation to the officer, and he explained that there wasn't much he could do, since this was Orange County's case. Orange County being the county Orlando is located in, I probably should have said that earlier. Anyhow, one of Mia's family members spoke to Armando again, and Armando agreed to let them take a look around his apartment with an officer present. After walking through, there was no sign of Mia or anything that immediately appeared out of place. The Castleberry officer told the family not to come back to Armando's apartment and to let law enforcement handle the investigation. But as you can imagine, Mia's family was having none of that. And why would they? Their Mia was missing and they strongly suspected that Armando was involved. Her father Marlon notified Orange County about what had taken place in Castleberry. Marlon met with an Orange County deputy and filled him in quickly on the events over the past few hours and everything he had learned since his daughter had gone missing. According to police documents, Marlon told him that earlier in the week, Armando had completed a maintenance work order in Mia's apartment for a water leak, and that the week prior to that, he had tried to send her money and express that he wanted to take her out, but that Mia had denied both the money and the advances. And further, that when Armando had shown up to the apartment the night Mia vanished, the family noticed visible injuries to his face. It had now been almost 19 hours since anyone had heard from Mia. Due to the circumstances, police seemed to start taking her case more seriously. After speaking with Marlon, the responding officer from Orange County went to speak with the property manager of Mia's apartment. The property manager told the officer that Mia had been captured on surveillance, leaving the leasing office moments after her shift ended at 5 p.m. the day prior. She allowed the officer to review the footage, and just as she said, there was Mia, cell phone in hand, walking out of the building wearing her maroon work shirt, a black hooded jacket, jeans, and black sneakers. She was carrying a red and white purse and a single yellow rose. 
that Rose had been found by her family at her apartment, and at first it set off several alarm bells, until the property manager explained that all of the female employees had been gifted one earlier that day by someone who was not named in reports, but was later found to be completely unrelated to Mia's disappearance. While they were reviewing the footage, the property manager explained to the officer that their complex used a key fob system, a system that kept record of when and what key was used to lock or unlock the apartment doors. The property manager pulled Mia's records and immediately noticed an odd entry on the day Mia had disappeared. The on-call maintenance key fob had accessed Mia's door on September 24, 2021 at 4.34 p.m. The only problem with that was that Mia had no maintenance request in for that day. And per the complex policy, maintenance workers were not to be going into people's apartments without an active work request or an emergency situation. Any guess on who the on-call maintenance worker was that day? Yep, Armando Caballero. And not only did he have no business going in Mia's apartment at that specific time, the activity from the lock on the door was strange, to say the very least. According to the report, at 4.34 p.m. on September 24, 2021, the deadbolt was unlocked with the on-call maintenance key fob and then locked again with that key fob a minute later at 4.35. At 5.02, the deadbolt was opened from the inside and then immediately locked again seconds later. Four minutes later, at 5.06 p.m., the deadbolt was unlocked with Mia's key fob. At 5.12, the deadbolt was locked again from the inside. A little over two hours passed and the deadbolt was accessed again at 7.16 p.m. And when it was accessed, it was Mia's key fob but the lock was accessed from the outside of the door, which didn't make any sense because the last time it had been locked, it had been locked from the inside. So how had Mia's key fob made it from inside the apartment to outside when the door had last been locked from the inside? And further, when Mia's key fob was used that last time outside the door, the deadbolt was never unlocked and the door was never opened. It just didn't make any sense. None of it did. Was it possible that someone had just swiped the key fob that last time in an attempt to make it look like Mia had returned to her apartment? And why in the hell had Armando been in Mia's apartment while Mia was still at work? With everything that had happened, officers finally seemed to be convinced that Armando, the maintenance man, was involved in Mia's disappearance. The responding officer called his supervisor, who responded to the scene. The supervisor called in detectives with the missing person squad. The detectives, along with several officers, searched all over the apartment complex, looking in storage closets and maintenance garages. A canine unit was called in as well as CSI, and detectives began to canvas the apartment complex, looking for information. It was about damn time. But for all the searching, there wasn't anything relevant found. Detectives moved on to formal interviews with those closest to Mia. And the stories were much the same. The last time anyone saw Mia was at work that day on the 24th. And it was clear she planned on boarding her flight and going down to Fort Lauderdale. 
What was also made clear throughout the interviews is that the maintenance man Armando had developed an obsession with Mia. Her brother Marlon recalled to detectives about how Mia told him that a guy at work liked her a lot and had sent her $700 through Cash App for being pretty, saying he thought she was the most beautiful girl in the world. Mia told Marlon the guy kept sending her money, but she kept sending it back. This story was corroborated by several co-workers and friends of Mia's. As it turned out, Mia had a group chat with several of the co-workers she considered friends, Tati being one of them and another co-worker Jasmine. Jasmine told detectives that Mia frequently shared screenshots of the messages that Armando had sent her within the group chat. She went on to explain that Armando sent Mia long emotional messages and got upset when Mia didn't respond. Jasmine thought the messages were weird since he and Mia had never been romantically involved. And the messages were in fact weird. Jasmine recalled the last time Mia had sent a message in the group chat about Armando. It was three days before she went missing, Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. Apparently, according to Jasmine, Mia's apartment had a leak somewhere around this time and maintenance workers were going in and out of the apartment over a period of days. That Tuesday, the 21st, Armando had gone to Mia's apartment to get a tool that had been left in the apartment after the flood. Mia told the girls in the group chat that Armando told her he had cleared his mind enough to follow her back on Instagram. You see, according again to Jasmine, Armando would get upset and obsessive whenever Mia would post all the fun things she was doing on Instagram, if she wasn't talking to him. Mia then shared to the group a text Armando sent after he left the apartment that day that stated, Everything else burnt out, but respectively, I can't lie. I would have loved to taste you or see how it was at least once. As well it should, this text freaked Mia out. She didn't even know how to respond, and so it seems she just didn't. Investigators began drafting a search warrant for Armando's apartment. But since it was in Castleberry, it was going to take some extra time. In the meantime, a detective went over to Armando's, but he wasn't there. However, his roommate Kenny was. Kenny told the detective that on Friday, September 24th, the day Mia went missing, that he and Armando were at the apartment watching horror movies around 8 or 9 p.m. and that no one showed up at the apartment and no one left. Armando hadn't left until the following day, which would have been Saturday. Detectives had to have known this was a lie since Armando was definitely at Mia's apartment the night she vanished. I mean, there was a whole last confrontation with her family, but it was his lie and they let him tell it. Conveniently, Kenny didn't know exactly what time Armando had left or where he had gone or where he was now. At around 1.30 in the morning, which technically would be the following day, Sunday, September 26th, the search warrant was executed at Armando's apartment. While several items were taken, the only thing that was of any evidentiary value was the maintenance key fob, the one that had been assigned to Armando and the same one that had accessed Mia's apartment the day she vanished. Armando Caballero was nowhere to be found. So investigators turned their attention back to Mia's friends and those that knew Armando. Mia's roommate told detectives that a week prior to her disappearance, Mia told her that a guy at work was obsessed with her 
She told her roommate all about the cash app and how she had sent it back. And she recalled how the whole thing began, telling her roommate that she was first messaging Armando about maintenance stuff. And then he started sending her long paragraphs about how beautiful she was and how he wanted to take her out. Mia told her that she had told Armando that she wasn't interested, but the messages hadn't stopped. It was enough that Mia's roommate was concerned and she advised Mia to tell a manager at the complex. Another one of Mia's friends, Rashid, told detectives that in late August or early September of 2021, Armando sent Mia an inappropriate text that was sexual in nature. That made her uncomfortable. She also confided in Rashid that Armando was sending her unwanted money through Cash App, but that she had declined them. Rashid also told investigators that Armando had said he didn't like Mia wearing, quote, provocative clothing when she was around Rashid, as if he had any say over what a grown-ass woman chose to wear. In the days before she had vanished, Mia had shown Rashid long text messages from Armando, professing his feelings for her. And after Mia had vanished, Armando had tried to call and text Rashid about Mia's disappearance. Rashid didn't respond. But he had gone with Mia's family to look for her. On September 25th, Rashid was with them when they went to speak to Armando, and he noticed that Armando had injuries. There was swelling to his right hand and his right cheekbone. When questioned about it, Armando flat out denied the injury to his face and claimed the injury to his hand had occurred while he was doing maintenance work. The maintenance supervisor at the complex told detectives that Armando seemed off the day Mia disappeared and that when he had seen him in the mere moments before Mia vanished, his hands were shaking, which of course wasn't normal. With all of this, the homicide unit was called in and a warrant was drafted for Armando, not on homicide charges, but for burglary. The warrant read in part, There is probable cause to charge Armando Caballero with burglary as he used his on-call manager key without a work order, therefore entering 3249 Arden Villas Boulevard No. 16 unlawfully and with intent to commit a crime as there was no reason for him to be inside the apartment and remove a blanket belonging to Mia that was missing. The suspicious circumstances around the condition of the apartment, him being in possession of an item belonging to her, along with the unusual behavior of Mia not answering her phone and not contacting her family, is evidence that a crime occurred therein. As it turned out, according to police documents, the felony warrant team was already looking for Armando. But that will have to wait until next week because unfortunately, we are out of time. Be sure to join me next week. There is so much more to Mia's story and her family's incredible fight for justice and change. Believe me, you don't want to miss it. In the meantime, head over to my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast for more information about this case. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.